And howdy! Whoop, there it is. All right. Well, guys, my name is Benjamin Pinkerton. I'm the college pastor here at our Anderson campus, and it is always such a privilege to be here with you guys. Uh, Main side, and uh, this is the place that I've said before, I would come to the 9 o'clock in here as a college student, and then I'd go across the street at the 11 o'clock, and now getting to be here and preach in college and sometimes come over here is just a full circle moment that God is just... Uh, he's got a sense of humor, first of all, that, that I'm up here. So, uh, God, we, we, we are just so grateful that you're here with us today. And, and the last time I preached here, I remember talking about an upcoming event that was going to happen in my life. Uh, we were expecting our first son, our second child, and it is my joy and privilege to, to show you that he has indeed arrived. This is James Roscoe, J.R. Pinkerton. Uh, we love the guy to death. Uh, we are so grateful for all of your prayers. We know many people have come to me and my wife, Kara, and just said, y'all been thinking, praying, asking questions about how we're doing. We just so appreciate that, that the body of Christ just cares deeply for one another. And some of you are pretty concerned about how Charlie Joy was going to receive her younger brother and share. And it is also a privilege to let you know that, that Charlie loves her little Bubba, all right? Bubba James, or little baby. That's what she says sometimes. She goes up, grabs his cheeks. She tries to be sweet to him, so she shoves passies up his nose. I mean, it's, it's the full gamut of love. And so she is full of joy. Uh, and so, yeah, we are really, really grateful that, that y'all love us so well. Uh, and so speaking of children, uh, I've learned something about uh, life as I gain more responsibility, specifically through having more children, uh, that, that life is just made up of choices, right? We have to make choices all the time. And the more responsibility I have, the more choices I have to make. And sometimes those choices don't just affect me, but they are starting to affect more and more people. Uh, every day we make so many decisions, right, uh, for you. Just think about how many choices that you had to make coming here this morning. One, you had to decide if you were going to get up, so good on you. You set an alarm, potentially, or you had a small child wake you up. Either way, you woke up this morning, you had to decide, am I going to have breakfast? Well, what kind of breakfast? Do I want oatmeal or cereal or grits or uh, this endless gamut of food options? And then do I want coffee? Do I want tea? Do I want anything? Juice? Do I want my coffee black? Do I want it with milk? Well, guess what? There's 700 choices of milk. You can have cow milk, 2%, 1%, whole milk. You can have almond milk and oat milk, cashew milk. I can keep going on the milks, and that's just one choice that you had to make. Then on your way here, to church today, you had to decide how you were going to get here, what kind of music maybe you were listening to in the car. You had to decide what you were bringing to church. You had to decide what clothes to wear. Well, all of this exponentially got harder because we had kids, and so now it's no longer just, well, how do I dress myself this morning, and how am I going to talk today, and who am I going to interact with? But now it's, well, how am I going to dress my children and primarily Kara does that, so our babies look really good, right? But uh, that decision, and then who are they going to spend time with? Are we going to put them in the nursery? Are we going to, and eventually as they get older, what schools do we put them in? Uh, what kind of friends do we let them hang out with? All of these choices. So when I was thinking about this morning and a sermon specifically on how do we make wise choices, I looked up some research. Uh, research at Cornell University estimates that, that we make 200 and 30 decisions every day on food alone. 230 decisions on food alone. 
And it's estimated by some researchers, get ready for this, that the average adult makes 35,000 choices a day. And each of those decisions, they carry certain consequences, good and bad. And there was actually this app called Noom, a psychology-based app, that it researched a small sample, 2,000 people, in 2022. And they found that, uh, that ultimately, they, that the average person spends about three hours a day deciding what you're going to either eat for lunch, what you're going to wear, what show you're going to pick out this evening, or... Uh, Oh, that's it. Three choices. Only three. Three hours for what you're going to wear, what you're going to watch, and what you're going to eat. And that shouldn't be surprising to you. I'm not going to call out any parties in the room, but just ask your spouse, if you have one, after the service, where do you want to go to lunch? And then just, right? Or maybe tonight, how long does it take to pick a show on Netflix if you have time to watch shows, okay? Just watch again. How long does it take? Three hours a day. Now, the reality is that you are who you are today. You are where you are today based on the choices that you have made in the past. And the choices that you make right now and today will actually determine where you will be and who you will be tomorrow. Decisions are incredibly important and they're shaping us and they're forming us and they're leading us a certain direction. So the skill of learning how to make wise choices, biblical decision-making process through the filter of, of the word of God, is so absolutely essential for the people of God. So the question then is, well, well, how? How do I make wise choices? I get this question all the time from college students specifically. They, they come and they ask uh, either, what's the next step for me? Or, or is this really the one that I'm supposed to marry? Or is this a good degree? Or where should I go? Or what should I do? And there's just so many questions being asked all the time. And there's this pressure of, I, I really want to choose what's right. Because we all recognize that your choices matter a ton. And that's amazing because we're going through a biblical sermon series in Proverbs where all we're doing the whole time is we're studying different themes and topics that these, these authors are writing about. And, and in Proverbs, it's specifically saying this is how you can live wisely. And we define wisdom with skillful living, right? Having the right knowledge and then using that knowledge to navigate life seasons and circumstances and all the choices and decisions that we have to make. And so go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to dive in, and we're going to learn how can you start to make better, biblically informed, wise decisions. Because God, who made all things, and he's the one that gives us meaning, and he gives us purpose, and he is the reason that we exist, he knows what's best. And so he gave us his word, and he helps us to say, this is the right way to live in accordance with how I've created all things. So, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says this Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him, the Lord, the covenant God Yahweh. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord, confident assurance in the Lord, literally putting your life and your circumstances and your decision-making processes in the Lord with all of your being. Everything about you should lean on and trust in the Lord. And when you do that, you also have to push off this idea of 
of leaning on your own understanding, on your own heart. That's my baby, don't worry. And acknowledge him in all your ways. That word acknowledge is literally intimate experiential knowledge, right? Do I trust the Lord so much because I know his character and I acknowledge him in all my choices? And Proverbs says that if we do this, then he's going to make our path straight. He's going to lead us in the ways of success, to be prosperous in the eyes of God. So how I want to break this, this message down is, is what about our decisions? Why do our decisions matter? And ultimately, I do just want to spend a lot of time applicationally saying, here's some specific biblical filters that we can start to put on our decision and choice-making process so that we can live wisely. The first thing we're going to learn about our choices is this, that choices reflect our values. Your choices reflect your values. And I'm going to go a little step further. Your values actually reflect your purpose. And your purpose reflects your identity. So your identity leads to your purpose, which leads to your values, which leads to your choices. Let me explain. If you are a student at Texas A&M, you are an Aggie, right? And you say, this is who I am. I am an Aggie here at A&M. Then you have a purpose, And that purpose, ultimately, being an Aggie, is for you to get a degree, right? If you no longer take classes, you are no longer a student at Texas A&M unless you graduated and you are an Aggie. But if you quit halfway through and you don't get the degree, are you an Aggie? (sighs) That's tough, right? All the married spouses are like, don't ask that question. Okay, well, just in this state of mind, the purpose of being an Aggie is ultimately to get a degree, But there's also specific values that we hold dearly if you are an an Aggie here at Texas A&M University. And if you didn't know those those six core values, loyalty, integrity, excellence, leadership, respect, and selfless service. That's literally their core values. And most students actually don't know those six. But they do know the slogan that we have attached to it. Right? An Aggie does not lie. Wow. Wow. That's easy. You go home, right? You nailed it, right? And Aggie does not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate those who do because our values are we have integrity, right? We have respect and selfless service. We have excellence in what we do. And so those are our core values as an Aggie. And so therefore, I'm going to have to make choices that are going to reflect those values. See, I'm actually going to have to study for the test. I'm not going to cheat on my neighbor's test. And if it's an online test, I'm not going to cheat and open that book and study it while I'm taking the test. I have to make choices that ultimately reflect my values. The same can be said if you are married in this room, right? Marriage, the identity of maybe being a husband or a wife in the institution of marriage, well, you have a purpose. The marriage has a purpose, and that purpose is to serve God and to display him to the watching world. That's the purpose of your marriage. So as a husband, and in my purpose, I'm supposed to display Christ to the watching world, I'm supposed to serve God in my marriage, then I ultimately have some values that are displayed for me in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm supposed to literally die to myself daily for the needs of my wife as Jesus died for his bride, the church. That's my values. I'm supposed to die daily. I'm supposed to sacrifice my needs for my wife's needs. It's not easy. Every single day I have to make choices that are really, really hard. I have to decide to choose to walk in the values that I am as a husband in a married relationship. So, your choices always are going to reflect 
your values. Which is great because you can stop and decide, what, how have I been making choices? What does that say about my values, about my character? What does that say about what I think my purpose is in life? And ultimately, what is that saying I believe about myself based on the choices I make? Always can be evaluating your choices through this grid. The second thing, choices are unavoidable. Choices are unavoidable. There's this moment in, in Joshua chapter 24, the last chapter of the book of Joshua. And Joshua just went over the Jordan and he, and he took over this entire nation. He took all these different cities. He, he conquested Canaan. And in this moment, he draws all the people together who have been slaves in Egypt. And he walked over the Jordan and he takes these cities back and he says, this is who we are. If we're going to be followers of Yahweh, the covenant God, he addresses them with this. If you have no desire to worship the Lord, choose today whom you will worship, whether it be the gods whom your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But I or me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. We will worship the Lord. That, that Joshua even is mentioning something here that every choice you're making is ultimately a reflection of who you worship. That your choices are unavoidable. You can't actually be passive or ignorant and say, that's my choice, or I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to be a part of it. That's actually a choice in and of itself. And, and Joshua calls the people to say, hey, if you're going to follow the Lord, you've got to choose him. Because you will go a different route. You will choose someone else. And so again, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, there's this moment that Elijah's on a mountain. And he says, y'all can choose to worship the, the false god of Baal, or you can worship Yahweh God. You have to choose. Stop deciding. Stop being paralyzed by your decision-making process. And many of us, we need to recognize that our choices ultimately are unavoidable, that you are actually choosing who you worship and where you put your identity in every single day. And lastly, your choices always require sacrifice. Every choice you make requires a sacrifice. Because when you say yes to one thing, then you are saying no to something or everything else. And this is where choices get really challenging. Because it's not normally like you have to choose between like this amazing option or like this horrible, terrible option. That's not normally our choices. Our choices are normally, man, you have this really great thing in front of you. And you've got this really, really good thing in front of you. How do I, how do I know? How do I choose appropriately? I want to choose my best yes, even at the sacrifice of really, really good options in front of me. I want to choose what's best because I know that I'm sacrificing other options. Choosing other options. Let's go into the why. Why your choices matter. Choices have consequences. Every choice you make has consequences. We've already talked about sacrificing other things in place of the choices you make. But scripture is very clear over and over that your choices matter. As a disciple of Jesus, you can abide in Christ and you can look like Christ and talk like Christ and walk like Christ and, and you can bear fruit. But the opposite is you, you don't bear any fruit. You are fruitful or you are fruitless. In Proverbs, over and over, you can walk in the path of wisdom, skillful living according to the way God has created all things, or you can walk in the path of foolishness. You can walk in the path of folly. There's two paths in front of you. And ultimately, you can walk in the path of life, or you can walk in the path of death. 
There's this book that uh, the author of Proverbs primarily is a guy named Solomon. And many of us have heard King Solomon, the, the wisest man who ever lived, right? He's a great case study because ultimately God asked him, you know, what do you want? You want riches or power, all that? And, and Elijah says, I want wisdom from you. And so God gives him all of it. He gives him wisdom. He gives him power. He gives him riches. He's the wisest king who ever lived. He unites the nation. It's super prosperous. It's awesome. And yet he made so many foolish choices that he's a great case study for having a lot of wisdom and then choosing really poorly at the downfall of his nation and of his children. But, but there's this book that he writes, in Ecclesi- it's called Ecclesiastes. And, and this book, what he says is, I went and tried all the things out. Everything that you could possibly want, man, I was able to try. The abundant life in the worldly terms. I had it all. I chased after all of these things and I got them. And what he says at the very end is everything is hevel or havel. Everything is vanity. Everything is a smoke or vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. You don't get to take the things that you, you received with you into the next life, right? That, that people will come up after you and blow all the wealth that you made. He just talks about everything in life is just kind of here today and gone tomorrow. And he ends the book by saying this. Having heard everything, which is a pretty strong statement. If you ever say anything like that, having heard everything, I know it all, I have reached this conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For God will bring, oh, because this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. That he says this in this moment, your entire duty is to fear God, to honor God, and to keep his commandments, to walk with him and obey him in the way that he calls you to live. And that every action and every choice you make ultimately will actually be judged, which is a really sobering thought. Yes, we can have security in our relationship with God, that we can know we have eternal life with God forever. But we also know that ultimately we will be judged based on the choices that we made in this life too. Whether rewards or rather loss of rewards. You see that in Revelation and in 1 Corinthians. So every choice really does carry consequences in this life but also in the next life. Secondly, our choices really matter because they shape you. If we thought of this more often, we would be really careful in how we make choices. That every choice you make, it's shaping you. It's shaping who you are, your character, the way you think, the way you interact with the world. It's shaping you to who you will become. There's this man, I read, read a couple of his books in seminary, James K.A. Smith. And he wrote a book called Desiring the Kingdom. And he also wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And his argument is that every choice that you make is ultimately you're envisioning the good life. See, the the telos, the end goal, that the choices I am making, it's because I believe that I'm headed towards this direction that is going to be the good life. And what he says in this uh, interview about his book, You Are What You Love, is this. It's your loves that govern your action and your pursuits. Indeed, you are more defined by what you love than what you think what you know, or what you believe. We are creatures of habit, that God knows this since he created us. And thus, our gracious, redeeming God meets us where we are by giving us spirit-empowered, heart-calibrating, habit-forming practices to retrain our loves. 
If we don't take this seriously, we will, in effect, be giving ourselves over to all of the rival habit-forming practices of our culture. Why do we have a Wednesday night, 7 to 8.30, in this room, discussion about how to abide in Christ and look like Christ and put on these practices like silence and solitude and fasting and prayer and scripturing? Why do we do those things? Because we know that what we are doing with our choices, they are actually defining us. They are shaping us. And if we don't take hold of our choices, then the culture will take hold of our choices for us. They will tell you what your values are. They will make you do certain things because that's the way the world is going. And if we don't recognize that, it's really easy to be passive. But that's a choice that we're making, and it is going to shape us. So all of us, we need to recognize that ultimately we make choices, but in the end, our choices will make us, as he argues in his book. And third, your choices will drive you to your destination. Decisions will determine your destiny. Decisions determine your destiny. There's this moment in Lewis Carroll's work, Alice in Wonderland. And Alice comes to this fork in the road. Two paths. The Cheshire cat comes and Alice says to the cat, which path am I supposed to take? Right or left? The Cheshire cat answers, that depends really on where you want to go. If you do not know where you want to go, it doesn't really matter which path you take. Are we ignorant or do we know where we want to go? If we can say, man, my allegiance, my values, my identity is being loved and seen by God himself and I want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, I'm going to live like Jesus, that's the path I want to take, then actually that choice really matters. Cheshire Cat says, well, if you don't know where you want to go, just take one. Let us not be that way. Let us be so attentive to the choices we're making that are shaping and forming us because in the end, it will determine where we end up, right? Not just heaven or hell, but fruitfulness in this life. Are we able to make disciples? Are we able to use our influence to help the people in our, in our workplaces, in our classrooms? Is, does it allow them to see the image of Christ even in the choices that we make? So here is the application. There's the how Right? Yes, it's very important. Choices are, they really matter and they have consequences and they're going to lead us a certain direction. This is what I want you to walk away with today based on Proverbs. I want you to walk in God's will by trusting in God's word. Walk in God's will by trusting in God's word. And I'm going to break down that, the word, uh, word in two different ways. See, see first... Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 1, 14, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible actually talks about Jesus Christ as being the Logos, the Word who displays perfectly God, the invisible God, because Jesus is God. And so, the old classic bracelet of WWJD applies in this application. What would Jesus do? So how do I trust in God's word? Well, first, you need to trust in Jesus and specifically his commands. 
Every decision, every choice you make, you can put it through this filter. That Jesus himself, when someone comes and asks him, what is the most important thing I'm supposed to do? What is the most important rule of life? What is the greatest commandment that I am supposed to obey as a follower of God? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And in fact, in John chapter 13, Jesus even says, the followers of me, this is how they will be characterized by the world. Not how smart they are, not how much verses they've memorized, or if they can read in Greek and Hebrew, not if they they can do all these really cool, spiritual, religious-looking things. What he says in John chapter 13, verse 34, is this. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciple, if you have love for one another. Paul in 1 Corinthians, everything you should do should be done in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, everything is lawful, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is lawful, but not everything builds other people up. Do not seek your own good, but the good of the other person. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. That all the authors in the Bible are saying the same thing about our choices. That your choices are called to love God and to love people. To build other people up for the glory of God. That every choice we make should first and foremost be put through this question. Is my choice loving? Is my choice loving? I'm going to give you all some questions throughout the time that you can just put down. As this is the question I ask when I have to make this choice. Is my choice ultimately loving God and loving people? Is it to build other people up? Is it to glorify God? Loving God and loving people. And the second command that Jesus says, follow Jesus' command, is, is to make disciples. Right? Jesus, he comes and he says, this is the mission for all believers, for all time going forward. He says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teach in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. That every single one of us has a mission from Jesus, the great commission that we all share as believers, and it's to make disciples. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Make disciples who go to the ends of the earth to unreached people groups. Make disciples in your classrooms and make disciples in your, in your workspace. Make disciples of your neighbors. Make, you know, make, make disciples everywhere you go. That is our mission because we love God and we love people. So, of course, we want to make disciples of Jesus who make more disciples of Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How are they to call on one they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in one that they have not heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. That in this moment, Paul writing this amazing theological treaty, he, he says that it's beautiful, the person that, that takes the gospel message, wherever they go, whatever they do, they go. Because how are they supposed to believe in Jesus when they've never heard of him? 
And I just want to encourage you when you think about this, that, that your feet are beautiful when you say, I'm going to work today, and I'm going to do my best to display Jesus. I'm going to try and make every choice reflecting the values that I'm a loved child of God, and, and that if I have that moment, I will proclaim the gospel. I will preach the good news. I won't just try and live in a really good way, but I will actually use my words to communicate the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That, that God loved you and me so very much that, that he looked at us and yet we sinned and walked away from him and, and in that sin and that rebellion from God that we had this separation and our relationship with God was severed. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his own son, the Godhead of the Trinity, Jesus Christ himself, came to earth and he lived a perfect life. And Jesus died a death that all of us deserve because of our sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf and Jesus died. And he stayed in the grave for three days. But then he rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death. And that simply we must believe and trust in Jesus. All you have to do is put your faith, your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do that, you have life with God eternally. That you have hope and peace that transcends the grave. If this is who we are, and this is our forming characteristic, that we are loved children of God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, then of course, everywhere I go and whatever I do, I'm supposed to be communicating that message. And it's beautiful when we, as the believers of Jesus, also believe it so strongly. We're willing to walk into our spheres and to say, this is, this is what I must do. I am, must make disciples of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through 29. Paul says this, We proclaim Jesus by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Paul says, Toward this goal I also labor, struggling according to his power that powerfully works in me. This is our mission. Make disciples. But don't just make disciples. Make disciples who mature in their faith. They grow in their knowledge of God. And they let that knowledge allow them to navigate life with wisdom. To love God and to love people and to make disciples. So here's the question you should ask. Every decision process. Is my choice loving and will my choice help others find and follow Jesus? Will my choice help others find Jesus first? got to know who he is and what he's done and, and believe in who he is and what he's done. And can they follow him for a lifetime? Can they grow in Christ-likeness and maturity? So does your choices help other people actually help them find and follow Jesus? Secondly, not just Jesus' commands, but we need to follow. We need to follow Jesus' example. Follow Jesus' example in your decision-making process. What Jesus does over and over in the scriptures is, is pretty amazing to, to behold and to, to read about. That Jesus, over and over, in the midst of so much ministry, right? he's literally raising people from the dead. He is walking on water, and he's giving speech, and he's opening the eyes of blind. He's healing lepers, and he's letting lame people walk. He's doing all of these things all the time, and everyone wants to come towards Jesus. And over and over in scripture, Jesus retreats. And he spends time with his father alone. And he seeks to do God's will. A couple examples. I love Mark 135. 
because it really just wants to show you the timing of when Jesus did this. Then Jesus got up early in the morning, when it was still dark, departed and went to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. Luke 5, 16. Yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. In Luke 6, 12, the only time in recorded scripture that Jesus prays through the whole night. Now it was during this time that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent all night in prayer to God. Right after that, that verse, Jesus comes down and he selects his 12 disciples. So we can only guess what Jesus was talking to his father about, but praying all night before a big decision. That if Jesus, who is God in the flesh, spent time with his father alone in solitude and silence and prayer and seeking God's will to make decisions, how much should we, not God, come towards the Father and ask Him in His will what we should do. Which is why we love James chapter 1, verse 5. That if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God is the source of wisdom. He knows how it's supposed to be done. So the question we need to ask is, have I sought God for help making this decision? Do I have peace from God in this decision? Secondly, in following Jesus' example, we need to submit to God. This one's the hard, this is going to be really hard. Submit to God, giving Him control. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before He's arrested, put on trial, whipped, and murdered, He comes and he, He's in His garden with His disciples and he, he gets away from them. He has them sit and pray and He goes off to pray alone and be with the Father. And He's literally sweating like droplets of blood. He's in such anguish. And he prays to his heavenly father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That Jesus himself asked the father if there was any other way to not go and die on that cross. That he wanted that. And in that moment he says, but not my will. But your will be done. And though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That Jesus, who was God, submitted to God, the Father, in this decision. Jesus says it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be taken care of. All these things will be added to you. The question we need to ask ourselves is, does my choice seek comfort and control over obeying God's will? Does my choice seek comfort and control, building my own kingdom, over obeying God's will and seeing His glory as the most important thing, that I'm supposed to love Him, love people, and make disciples? And I have to choose options that sometimes sacrifice my own desires, submitting to God's will. So I said that we... we we ultimately need to trust in God's will, right, by, by trusting in his word. That, that I said that the word is Jesus, but also the word is described in scripture as the Bible. That we need to trust the Bible, the revelation of God to us, that in the scriptures, God actually gives us everything we need in life and godliness. So therefore, what does God's word say about our decision-making process? Not just studying the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus, but also even in just Proverbs over and over. 
that if you want to make wise choices, you need to seek wise counsel. I love God. I love people. I make disciples. I need to sacrifice my comforting controls for God's will to be seen. I need to help people find and follow Jesus. And that's really, really hard. And so I'm going to seek wise counsel. Uh, I'm highlighting wise. Don't just seek counsel. Seek wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen: When there is no guidance, a nation falls. But there is success in the abundance of counselors. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. I can read that one again a couple times. 15.22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Do you have people in your life that you would say, that's a wise person that actually cares deeply about the glory of God, that loves God and loves people and wants to see me love God and love people and make disciples? Do you have that two, three, four people? It doesn't have to be this mass number, but just close, intimate friends that really care about your walking with Jesus and making him known in all your spheres. And the question you need to ask is, have I sought wise counsel? And if you don't have that community, that option, that's what the body of Christ is for. That's the reason we offer so many different things. We're trying to build opportunities for you to build a community that, can, that sits together and cares for each other, that meets on, on Saturday mornings at you know, Coco Loco with your friends after many years. And you can ask them, what, what is the right way to walk in this choice that I'm having or in this decision or in this process? Right? That you have that accountability in your life. You're not just you know, surrounded by yes men and people that are just really impressed by you. But that truly care to push you towards wisdom. Secondly, in, in God's word, we need to analyze our, our motivations. And that's pretty obvious, like all throughout this time, analyzing your motives. Because the way Jeremiah says it about your heart is the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand your heart? Which is why in Proverbs 3, it says, Do not lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways. And he'll make your path straight. Because our heart is naturally prone towards pride. That is the, the, the result of, of sin in our life. This world is broken and because of our flesh and the world, right? And because of Satan himself. Because of that, our choices are often, if we don't let God dictate how we make our choices, it will always be based on, I want to build my kingdom. I want to have my control. I want to build my comfort. I'm going to make the easiest choice that really benefits me. And I'm not necessarily thinking about how does this bring glory to God? How does this make Jesus known to the watching world? I'm going to be willing to sacrifice those things. Your choices will naturally go against God unless you let God and his spirit change the way you think. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, David prays to God, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any idolatrous tendency in me and lead me in the reliable ancient path. That is a prayer we can pray. God, can you search my motivations? Help me to see if there's anything about this choice that I'm making that is not reflecting your values and my identity as a loved child of God. And then James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask 
with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So often, our choice, even in our prayer life, is self-focused. That we have to ask God to analyze our motivations, help us to, with wisdom to see how our choices are actually affecting our walking with Jesus and making him known. And even asking the prayer before you start praying, your first prayer can be, can you help me in my prayer to you? Not be about my own pleasures, but ultimately, I want to ask with right motives for your glory and your purposes. And the last thing I want to say about this is, this is one that's, it's funny, I, I do a whole sermon on choices and how your choices matter and there's consequences to those choices and these choices shape you and, and drive your destiny and they're so important. But we also have to stop and recognize that, that God has given us free will and God gives us the ability to choose and God also gives us a lot of freedom in our choices too. Because again, there's so many decisions we're making that are not like these moral decisions where if you choose this or that, you're just obviously walking in sin. But oftentimes, this is probably one of the most, uh, like the counsel I give the most to college students who are so filled with pressure about what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to do it right and where am I supposed to go and who am I supposed to marry and how am I supposed to be. All of these things just weigh us down. And I often say, is this a right or wrong choice or is this really just a right or left choice? Because God gave you a choice. God gave you freedom. And you get to choose. Right? Am I supposed to go this route and work at church camp? Or am I supposed to go on this mission trip? Or am I supposed to take classes? I mean, go through the filter. Which choices? Like, do you love God? Are you loving people? Are you wanting to make disciples? Are you asking wise counsel? Are you thinking about this impact? Are you evaluating the choice after you get done? But, but ultimately, don't be so paralyzed by indecision because there are so many options in front of you. That, that we can. We can ask God for wisdom. And we can pray and we can bring counsel around us. But we can actually make choices with confidence. We can actually make decisions and, and, and walk in them boldly. And be okay with the results, leaving the results up to God. So I just, for you, if you're in here and you're like, man, I've been really struggling with this choice I'm trying to make. And I've prayed about it and I've thought about it and I've read about it and I've asked people about it. And I still don't really know. I often just say, just make a, make a choice. Just choose and walk in it. Be confident that, that God didn't give you any red flags or even yellow flags for either choice. Just, just go and see what happens and evaluate after so I just, I just hope that as, as we think through our choices, that, that we have a grid, and a grid for how do we walk as Jesus walked and live as Jesus lived and help people find and follow him with some of these questions that we need to be asking over and over again that I confess that often I don't think about until after I've made the choice and I'm like, oh man, that, was that choice loving? Was that choice really to build someone up? Or was that choice really to make disciples of Jesus? Or was that really sought after with wise counsel? Did I ask people before I made that choice? So let us be on the front end of our choices. Where we, we go through this grid. And we say, God, I, I believe you know what's best. And I know that you want to make my path straight. And I want to acknowledge you in all the ways that I live. In all the different seasons of my life, in every decision that I make, I want to honor you and glorify you and love you because you are worthy of 
love. You are worthy of my entire life and every choice I make. Let's pray. Father, we, we just recognize that this, this is hard. Like our life is made up of choices. And every day we have thousands of choices we have to make, God. And we recognize that it's so easy for us to be so overwhelmed. God, we can be paralyzed by fear of making choices. And God, I just, I pray that you would give us confidence and hope as we study your word. We see that, that you give us a filter by which we can make choices and decisions. God, we pray that you would help us to every decision be so loving that we love you. We love you because you are loved. We love you because you loved us first. We love you because we know how much we're loved and we're secure in that identity. And therefore, we can love you and we can love people unashamedly. We can sacrifice our own needs for the good of other people. We can make those type of choices. God, we pray that you would help us with, with any decisions in this room right now that's going on, that's weighing us down. God, I pray that you would just give us peace, that we would seek your face, that we would acknowledge you in all of our ways, that we would trust in you and not lean on our own understanding, that you would, you would give wise people around us to speak life to us and to show us what truth is and how to walk it appropriately. God, we thank you that most of all you gave us the spirit of truth, that all of us who have put our faith in Jesus have the spirit of God. We have God indwelling us, helping us to make wise decisions. Help us in the way that we pray. Help us to, to walk in accordance with our true identity as, as loved, forgiven children of God. God, we pray that we would walk out of here and make wise choices, God. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.